Hey everyone, Sloan here with another top-notch conversation about the future of institutional investing. This time Ashby and I are joined by John Bowman, who is the Executive Vice President of the Kaya Association. We talk about how the ESG label, environmental, social, and governance-driven investing, has served the investment profession well in thinking about how to do sustainable investing, but it's time to move past it, in his view. Uh, we also talk about how allocators are increasingly collapsing most of the standard delineations between various categories of risk assets to think more about what they're doing functionally and using that to build new portfolios. Given all that, we ask and explore, what does the portfolio for the future look like? Um, we dig in on one of John's thoughts that alpha is just undiscovered beta and what the industry is doing there, and also explore why his broken ankle is really just an opportunity to try one of those recumbent ski machines. I will note that this episode was plagued by technological gremlins, which have counterintuitively proved quite popular with our listeners. Um, that feedback caught us by surprise, so we've decided to survey our listeners to, make, to learn more about what makes you smile. We're prepared to commit to having at least one technology issue per podcast if it comes to that. If you're on our email list, you'll get this survey in your inbox before you know it. And if you're not, what's wrong with you? Rectify this immediately by going to freemoneypodcast.com and signing up for our email list. And while you're doing things that I say, stick around until the end of this episode to hear me and Ashby talk about alien plant life, talk about how to reflect usefully on past investment decisions, and the latest developments in the various things we're building. I'll catch you on the other side of the disclaimer. Take it away, Sharkbait. Ahoy, Free Money Podcast listeners! I'm Sharkbait Buckley, the Disclosure Pirate. And I'm here to set ye straight about what's going on with this here show. Sloan Ortel works for Invest Vegan LLC, a New York registered investment advisor. Ashby Monk works for Stanford University, Adapar, Future Proof, Long Game, and various startups. All opinions expressed by either Sloan or Ashby are entirely their own, and do nay reflect the opinions of their crew or any company. Clients who invest vegan may maintain positions in securities and strategies discussed in this podcast. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Invest Vegan and its representatives are properly licensed or exempted and a client agreement has been executed. Arr. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Welcome to the Free Money Podcast. It's where we give you the Brooklyn Bay Area consensus about institutional investing that you desperately crave. And I'm literally outdoors, Sloan. This is yeah. this is coming to you from the natural environment. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like to get in the mood for this podcast, I just went up uh, upstairs onto the roof and like started moving some stuff around in the garden just to get you know into the groove. Yeah. Uh, you know, very fitting that you're outside. Yeah, you got to get your head right. So you got to go into nature. Yeah. Since that's our final. If no, nobody out there listens to the end, our final segment on this podcast is a gardening segment. <laughs> a lot of people stick around just for that. That's really where the alpha comes comes in. You know, yes. like, I, I think that like you know, there's a lot of podcasts that are out here giving you know you know top tips and color on the institutional <laughs> landscape, but very few of them blend that with actual gardening tips. True. You know. That's true. And I'll tell you, the, my gardening tip today, I admit, is a question. 
Ooh. And it's a very strange question, maybe related to alien plant life. But anyway, we'll come back to that. I'm outside because this is the holiday week, and I got multiple children inside raising hell. So I had to go hide. Yep. Uh, yeah, so if I have to go on mute because children are, are like, bleeding from, you know, wounds, I'll, I'll signal you. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've instituted cat defenses in my, uh, you know, free money HQ here on the East Coast. So I think I should be, you know, down to anchor it no matter no matter how many broken knees, uh, you know, there may Beautiful. be. But I should tell you, about, like, as we're getting off the top here, I had some personal news last week. Oh, you, which got, is, you got a 17th job for a change. Like, <laughs> The good news is I replaced an old job. So I, I, it's not like I'm, I know everybody's like Ashby just adds jobs. I subtracted one. So the net is still the same number of jobs. This one has the longest title ever, though. So that was the goal here was to get a, a business card that couldn't contain my new function. And I think I might have succeeded. Oh, like a business card you have to unfold? Yeah, it's like, exactly. Yeah, you nailed it. We're not like I sent it off to the printer and they're like, well, I don't know who you think we are. Like we can't make the typeface. So, you know, seven. Um, well, what's, the what's the title? <laughs> See if I can get it into one breath. Uh, I am the new executive director of the Stanford research initiative on long-term investing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Housed within the center for sustainable development and global competitiveness Ooh. A research center of the School of Engineering at Stanford University in California. Yeah. Yeah, that's a long one, but it's going to be fun. I know for a fact that there are listeners out there who are shocked that you are on the engineering faculty at Stanford University. Yeah. I think there's there's engineers in the faculty at Stanford that are probably shocked I'm in the engineering faculty. <laughs> I mean, it makes perfect sense when you think about like you gotta you gotta get long term investments to do the hard engineering stuff and you know, like it, I mean it's you're squaring a circle and it makes a lot of it's intuitive but uh, yeah. you know it's also not intuitive at all. Yeah, no, I, there's a lot of people in the investment space who continue to crab at me about that. They think I just should be over in the business school. Um, and I'll tell you the funniest email I got, not funniest, maybe the most exciting email. I have no clue what to make of it. But after the announcement, the guy wrote to me and he's like, long-term investing, engineering school, we got to think about the financing of space. And he sent me like five papers on like the future of space finance. Oh, that's and, so cool. No, like, by the way, like if you're actually thinking long-term, 100 years out, we're going to be in space. Who's yeah. going to pay for that space? Who yeah. pays for the space? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's so fascinating. I mean, like there there are a bunch of like SPACs that are, I think there's probably 25 ish billion by weight of you know publicly wow. traded space companies right now. Uh, yeah. Another one's coming public in a couple of weeks. I mean, like you know, it's definitely front of mind. I think already in the market, it's not strictly an academic concern. Um, you know, and yeah, I mean, unless we have some thought going into it, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are just going to be living their like, you know, dystopian nightmare fuel lives up there, you know, I, I guess right. you know, it's like, you know, racing go-karts around the planet. Yeah. They're just going to be driving on the Mars <laughs> in their, in their special rovers. 
I mean, um, you yeah. wouldn't be able to get great ups on the, you know, I would think on the moon at least, you know, like I want to see now like a Mario Kart game that takes place. Oh my on, gosh, you have know? you seen Astra? Ad Astra, I, I still haven't seen Ad Astra. Did we talk about that on the show? I don't remember what I talked about. <laughs> <here>. <laughs> I think we talked about that two shows ago, and I was like, I gotta get up. Yeah, you gotta see that. There's a great Mario Kart scene in Ad Astra on the moon. Shit. Anyway, get involved, everybody. Get involved. Um, speaking of the news, maybe I'll do the news. Yeah, I got some good news. Uh, actually, no, it's all bad news. But <laughs> well, this first one is good bad news. The Ohio pension is mm-hmm. suing Facebook. Good, okay? which is pretty great. They're the bad guys. I've heard the Facebooks. Yep. 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 Um, for exploiting knowingly its most vulnerable users, including children. In order to drive corporate profits, pretty I mean, pretty useful to have the pension funds, you know, out there getting serious. They they just so you know they're using that whistleblower um, as like the key evidence in the lawsuit. That's so awesome. I mean, that's a really really good kind of link from you know the you know the the mainstream news cycle to the pension world. I mean. And hey, I, I hope it inspires someone who might like be out there thinking like, gosh, what if we did some more active ownership? Like if you're a universal <laughs> owner, you got to own, I mean, Facebook's what? Like, uh, you know, I don't know what percentage it is of your target index, but if it's, I think the S&P, it's like three-ish, four-ish percent. It's got to be big. The fangs. It's, it's, it's the F. You own it. It puts the F in fang. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, the, and that that really is just delightful to hear. The here's hoping they get them over. Yeah. yeah, well, I know that the the pensions are have been crabby about the Facebook for a long time, but that was just because of the voting class yep. of the shares. But now we got more reasons to be crabby. Um, next news item is a conglomeration of news items that I've lumped into. People are still setting up sovereign funds. That's my <laughs> that's my title of this news item. Congo, Indonesia, Namibia have all set up new funds. Hmm. Egypt's fund is now getting real. They're they're redoing the downtown of Cairo. Hmm. Probably getting a Jamba Juice in there or something. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Israel, who set up their fund in 2018, is now going live because they're finally getting that gas off the uh, offshore um gas field mm-hmm. um senegal which uh has this fund which i think sounds so rad it's called the foncis f-o-n-s-i-s foncis foncis it's gonna pivot from being just a development fund into a more traditional sovereign wealth fund so you know like i used to do a lot on the sovereign funds and that's my title for the twitter but there's still so much happening it's sort of like i should get back involved and you know write another paper on this stuff there's there's a lot of activity Uh, yeah like i wonder i can i imagine like you know the one of the main distinctions between when you started and now is that there are all these blueprints out there and actually other folks that people can be kind of looking to and you know like i wonder if there are like regional centers of influence uh that all of these guys would cite you know or or if it's more of a global i mean like because like the I, I mean, I, I just wonder who the influencers are that the people who are setting these these uh, things up are following. Obviously, you know, they all they all know about at Sovereign Fund on Twitter, but oh, yeah, they're tuning into the Free Money Podcast. 
yeah, they're all just like, oh yeah, um, like we're honestly. Your question Ash- is right. It's your Ash- question is amazing. It's Ashby's gardening tips. Uh, that's- <laughs> <laughs> they do invest in ag, so but what they need to invest in is the offset program in my backyard. Yeah. <laughs> Try to get that launched. It's over. Um, I mean, it's just, it's it's, there's just, it's too hard to reserve capacity these days for that stuff. Oh my god! One day people will pay me to plant trees that I want, anyways. Um, I was gonna say it's really a cool question. Who are the influencers? Because if you go back a decade, the influencer was Norway, right? Yeah. Like everybody's like, oh, we want a Norway style fund, right? And now I have to say, I would imagine the influencer, like the ultimate influencer is probably Tomasek Mm. because the performance, the like, you know, connection to development. Um, And NIIF, which is the National Infrastructure Investment Fund in India, which, Mm. you know, is only five years old, is often held up as like a blueprint because they've managed to go out and partner with all the big sovereign funds for inward investment in India. Hmm. Um, yeah, so it's a really thoughtful question, which is like, who who has kind of won? And my guess is it's probably like, if you're just doing a normal sovereign fund, it's probably New Zealand and Australia. Hmm. The performance is astoundingly good. And, the and like, so, like the yeah. guardians are like hard to, you know, kind of oversell as being, you know, yeah. the coolest cats in the universe. Yeah, I mean, like, they don't have a board. They got the guardians, you know, <laughs> the guardians of the galaxy came to your sovereign fund. It's like yeah, we, badass. We're the guardians of investor capital. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's my favorite flight of the concords. <laughs> Triple digits. Anyway, I'm just like um, excited that these, these funds are getting set up and, and going back to the original reason for why I got interested in sovereign funds Every time somebody sets up a sovereign fund, it's a blank sheet of paper to design something fresh. Mm. So here on the free money, we like innovation in institutional investment. And so the role models are actually really important because if you're just going and copying the Canada pension plan, well, then you're going to get a bunch of Canada pension plans out there. Um, But if you're copying Tomasek, that's novel because Tomasek's whole thing was inward innovation, catalyzing development and all those things. So. We'll see. Hmm. Next, next bit of news. This is a good one. And it is Sovereign Fund related. Um, it is related to the uptake of ESNG, environmental I social. I those letters all the time. They're out there. You hear them. Most people don't know what the hell they mean, but it's environment, social, and governance. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be great if it was three guys' names, Eddie, yeah. Steve, and Jerry with or, a G. Or- Elizabeth, Samantha, and uh... go. What's a G word? Gloria. Gloria. There we go. Thank you. Um, yeah. In this case, the ESG is related to extra financial information, alternative data. And in 2020, 24% of sovereign wealth funds said they were incorporating ESG into decisions. In 2021, that number has shot up to 71%. Man, pretty big uptick. That's, I mean, and you know, we got a guest on deck to give us some color on that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, uh, which is pretty, pretty crazy. We got you know John Bowman, my friend and yours uh, of the Kaya Association. Uh, yes. 
Here he comes. Here he, it's the guy. Hi, John. Oh, uh, you can't hear me? I can oh, hear you. You can, you hear, can me. hear us? Me, I can't hear you. Oh, Lord have mercy. We do the technology here, right? Yeah, it's we're the most technologized podcast that's ever yeah. podcasted, I think. I see he has his I, I, uh, po- iPhone you know, pods in his ears, which AirPods. I know. I What are they called? The AirPods? AirPods, yeah. <laughs> Come on. Uh, he sounds like he's getting actually angry. Should we... <laughs> You're okay, John. Oh, yeah, we lost him all together. No. I think he's just cut. Oh, he's back. I was getting I, aggravated. Can you hear me? I can. Yeah, hear we you. can hear you. You're yeah. getting agitated. No, we yeah, sense I that. I heard you for like a split second. Happened. It's, it's good to have. I mean, uh, multiple listeners have said that some of the funniest and most so high quality moments of this podcast are our tech fails. So. <laughs> Oh, really? You hear us? Can you still hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Yes. Ashby, are you already drinking? <laughs> this is a microphone, but I appreciate the comment. This is a holiday week, so technically, I think I could be if I wanted to be. <laughs> uh, it's so good to see both of you. How you doing? Good. John, look, I we love that you're here, but we're bringing you in right now because I was just reflecting on some ES&G um, uptake. I was talking about a, a tweet I did where in 2020, 24% of sovereign funds said they were incorporating ESG. And in 2021, that number is now 71%. That's a big uptake. Huge. And we know you recently wrote a piece on ESG and you were saying, let's get rid of the label. Let's get over it. Let's get over that label of ESG. So, how do we make sense of all this? First of all, what the heck do you mean? Let's get over it. Let's jump in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, apparently we're recording already. So it, forget the formality. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, we're. Uh... Yeah, yeah. You know, no, we we're. This is live. <laughs> yeah. Well, happy Thanksgiving to both of you too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. Let me let me just say so I had a lot of fun with this obviously and it, as you might imagine given the uh, I would say the the line in particular of queuing the ESG funeral right it got a, it got a lot of pickup let me just say first of all and I know you know this both of you know me pretty well um, this is not about our passion my passion for any of the underlying factors you know a long standing proponent of diversity and climate integration. Yeah, quality work environment. This, this is about the mashup, this medley of mayhem, as I called it, that we suddenly <laughs> attached ourselves to. This is a this is a twenty year old mashup of fifth, depending on the the service provider, fifty plus factors, where we're attempting to to sort through progress on all these avenues of progress or not. And in and in the end, what you've got is a bunch of mediocrity. And what I mean by that is. If you're measuring everything, you're not measuring anything. And I, I, I think this ESG thematic kind of wrapper served a really great purpose for a 20. Because what, what the world needed was a, a, a wake-up call because we were not, we were still in this Milton Friedman mindset of the bottom line of investment outcomes. And it needed kind of a way, it needed a tool. It needed a sword to kind of confront reality and it's 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 made it's woken a lot of people up and suddenly materiality 
we're not arguing about that anymore. We're arguing about how to measure it and what does it mean for responsibility. So all I'm saying is let's extract the label. This thing has grown up. It deserves actually to be integrated fully. And I think sometimes we talk out both sides of our mouth when we say it should be integrated, but then we still have this mashup by which we're measuring it. We're contradicting ourselves. Uh, so I, I just think that it, it's time has come. Uh, and yeah, as I quoted in the article, one asset owner of a big public pension plan once told me, once we start talk, stop talking about this, it will have arrived. The fact that we need this separate parallel track of checks and balances means we haven't really allowed it to arrive. So let's, let's mature this thing and agree it's prime time. Let's, let's go forward. I love it. Uh, yeah. I mean, like I, I, couldn't agree more. It's like, you know, because, you know, I remember, you know, back in like 2013 talking to people and they're like, oh, well, like what? You're, you're really caring about governance? Oh, my gosh. It's like you're telling me that if it, a company's board is entirely made of like cousins, you're not going to pay attention to that. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. uh, and, and like, I mean, this seems to, to flow really tightly into what I think of as like the Kaya thing, which is sort of thinking like an allocator, right, where you sort of are like going all right, let's get past all the like, you know, the weird separations and arbitrary delineations yeah. of these asset classes. And let's like focus on all the, how the whole thing works together. Um, as a practical matter, like, is, is that how, what thinking like an allocator is? What is it to you? Yeah, well, it's, uh, you've probably touched on it there, at least hinted at it there, Sloan. It, it's a mindset. It's not a job title, right? Uh, and, and Kaya's, Kaya's founding principle 20 years ago, you know, we're not that old. We're, we're kind of just, you think about it that way, we're a, a late adolescent. And, and frankly, if you're anything like me, you're still an adolescent well into your 20s. So we're 20 years old as an organization. Wow. And this whole, this whole idea of thinking like an allocator, an alternative credential really arose out of a period by which we wanted to retrain and reform the lens to look down from an allocator's cockpit, a true allocator simulator, and say, what are all the alternatives, lowercase a, alternatives, because everything's a trade-off. One of the most ironic things I can tell you guys, just a little bit of a, a side step here, is that Kaya has been in the business of de-alternativizing since we started. That's a weird thing for us to say, but I, I'd like to take alternative out of a vernacular because they're all alternatives, right? It's but it is, it's in your name. <laughs> well, exactly. And if I, honestly, Ashby, if I could change the name today uh, to maybe Kaya Allocators Investment Association, because that's what we're about. We're about a top-down look. You know, I think 1986, what a great year that was for so many reasons. But I was, in, I was in Hawaii, only time I've ever visited Hawaii. And I think about to Sloan's question on what is thinking like an allocator mean? The industry has looked at it like this luau I attended in 1986. And what do I mean by that? Is that you have this great buffet of all these beautiful Hawaiian fish and maybe some meat and some veggies for those that didn't, didn't want to eat the seafood. And we finished our dinner and then out came the entertainment sword swallower and he's blowing fire and the dancers are flipping things and they were announcing the dessert. And sometimes I feel like the alternatives world with the big cap capital A is like that dessert luau celebration, meaning here's the traditional stuff, take what you want. And then if you feel extra spice in your life, 
stay around for the dessert show and you can have a little hedge funds and private capital and infrastructure. And, and this is one long buffet of risk premium. We need to stop thinking about this as conventional on alternatives because they're all alternatives. So Sloan, thinking like an allocator is simply putting yourself into allocator's seat, that captain's chair, whether you sit in a GP for one particular strategy or whether you truly are allocating capital or you're advising as a consultant on allocating capital, we think there's benefit in everyone being equipped to think that way. Help me. So th let's, uh, let's drill down into like how that thinking like an allocator toolkit can be applied to some of these like really wild, innovative assets that are popping up, say like the crypto kitties, the doja coins, things like that. Um, how can, like, that's where you guys really can offer a useful lens that maybe even CFA is not going to offer because you have this mindset around alternative. Walk us through that. Yeah. So uh, crypto and DeFi, and, uh, uh, this is just a fascinating space that I know all of us are just diving in the deep end and trying to get up the intellectual learning curve. So the, the allocator's question on, let's take crypto, blockchain generally, I, I think comes down to two existential questions. Uh, and one is, one is, what is this digital currency? Is it, is it a store of value? Is it an inflation hedge? Some people call it digital gold. Because if you define it that way, I think some people get tongue twisted here. Allocation decision. If it's, quote, nothing but an inflation hedge or a store of value. Uh, secondly, is it a risk on asset? Is this a true asset class that we should be comparing volatility and risk return? You know, it's got 230% return over the last decade, and, and probably that's like a, a minute old, which means it's at this point. But volatility, three big drawdowns, right? Is this about slotting in a true asset class exposure? Or, or and this is the one I tend to, guys, tend to agree with, is this simply representative? Is, is cryptocurrency simply representative of a brand new ecosystem in doing business. This is the whole web 3.0 distributed finance. Yep. How does cryptography change financial services? And if that's the case, um, then the potential opportunity is across all asset classes. Uh, and do we believe that everybody will have a digital wallet in the future? Well, I think largely we do. It's just a so it's about investing in the plumbing and the trellis and the infrastructure. So that, that's the first question. What, what, what is it? The second one, which, which kind of follows from that, is what's the beta and what's the alpha, right? Uh, is Bitcoin and Ethereum, is that the beta? Uh, is Bitwise's top 10 index, is that beta? Or is it even larger than that? Is it like a VC fund that invests across the entire spectrum? Until you answer those questions, I don't think an allocator can make the decision. But, but I will tell you this, kind of to finish this, we were at a round table of about a trillion dollar of assets. And Sloan, you remember we used to do this at CFA all the time. Get these asset owners in a room, no GPs. Ashby, Ashby knows about this as well, because you were going to come if it weren't for COVID getting in the way to one of these That's right. in LA. And, and it's a safe zone, right? Peer to peer, no telling them anything. Let me just tell you this. There's a lot of FOMO going on. And they're, they're trying to understand what do they do with this. And I would say that they're directly invested in crypto, five to 10%, it's typically the endowments. Two thirds are kind of actively researching or have a project kind of trying to figure this out. And then you've got maybe 25% hmm. if I'm doing that math correctly, investing the VC way explicitly in a DeFi. 
that that I think is is one example. And I think to, to kind of round this off, Ashley, to your question, that's the problem with the bottom up kind of analyst approach is that if you're simply looking at cash flows or how to value this thing, you're going to miss the mark completely. You got to think across asset classes, across risk factors. How is this going to completely change financial services going forward? There was a great quote from Cam Harvey who was with us at this event. And he said, and the allocators you could see nearly fell off their chairs when he said this. He said, look, you can't be neutral on this because if you're simply pretending that you're going to wait and see, you realize that your full weighted financial services, credit card companies, intermediaries, you have shorted the future. You are making a bet whether you think it or not against crypto and DeFi. Uh, so you better make sure you have a view and have that represented in your portfolio. You know, that's a, that's a really usefully provocative view because like, I, you know, I mean, the I, I think like if you look through the payment space, there's so many just like chuggy also ran companies that yeah. like, you know, are, you know, the, they'll all say that they're, you know, innovating in the cross border payment space or whatever. Um, you yeah. know, but, but like, but, but Sloan, as you know, you know, it's like the old lipstick on a pig thing. Right. And I have all the respect for these, um, plaids and PayPal's and Stripe. Right. But what really we're doing is just putting a, uh, a simpler, pretty bells and whistles, customer interface on a centralized structure that hasn't changed in a hundred years. I mean, there's just been no innovation here. So I just moved to Salt Lake city. I think as both of, you know, I tried to transfer my savings account from SunTrust, God bless them, to Wells Fargo. It took like two weeks. Yep. Two weeks. I mean, I, what, what age, what, what age are we living in where that takes that long? It's just crazy. You know, I, I think like, you know, it's funny as you were talking about fear of missing out with crypto. One of the things I was thinking about is that, you know, a lot of those same allocators around those roundtables must have like fear of taking it you know, taking part of inflation, right? Like fear of, uh, you know, kind of this this broad uh, uptick in prices that we've seen in energy and food and, and, and all sorts of other things. And, you know, I know it's not, you know, I know we get rid of the alternatives in Kaya, uh, yeah. but one of the traditional, you know, kind of roles of alternatives in a portfolio is to provide that inflation hedge, to do an absolute return uh, component of a portfolio or something like that. How are allocators thinking about inflation right now in your experience from your conversations? Yeah, I don't think it's, and that's part of the reason I explain those existential questions. I, I don't think many, in fact, none I've talked to that I can think of, think of crypto as truly, um, in a, I, I just mm. narrative yet. I, I, I think that's why, um, Variations of real estate and infrastructure are very hip and back in fashion. I mean, I, when you think about real estate, commercial real estate, take residential out for a moment. But when you think about uh, commercial real estate, you know, three years ago, it was office space is typically what right? and you were just debating on whether it was class A, class B, class C and what type of marketplace. Now you're thinking about logistics supply chains, right? And vertical integration to make sure you don't have these big disruptions that that we've had, and and what about um, and what about bringing the the distribution closer to the end customer in the last mile? And I think there's tremendous opportunity to take part in that type of real estate that that I think speaks to supporting and enabling this digital consumer revolution we've had. That's that's just demanding a whole lot. The infrastructure side, you know, I've been on record. Maybe the most unquote alternative 
you know, that you can imagine until recently, right? And now you've got Biden's infrastructure plan. You've got China playing kind of debt diplomacy and infrastructure diplomacy around the world to recreate kind of this digital Belt and Road initiative. And you've got Africa and other parts of the development. Oh, no. Did we lose him? He just disappeared. <laughs> it was getting say, good. Yeah. It's, you know, just proof that the Chinese uh, government is listening into yeah. these podcasts. <laughs> Where is that tennis player? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's her name? Sorry. <laughs> I don't know her name. I don't either, but hopefully Fang, you read Fang. Anyway, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully she's okay. Yeah, hopefully he's not, John and that tennis player are not hanging out in the same place. Uh, yes. Ah, uh, there we go. You know, I will tell you, um, Sean Bill of the VTA pension plan is using Bitcoin as an inflation hedge. He's back. Up, Sorry. What happened? Was that me? Uh, yeah, we, uh, you know, we suspect that, you know, you mentioned Chinese debt diplomacy and then the censor. Hey, yeah, uh, no, it's shut down. <laughs> Coincidence? Yeah, let's. Let me just finish my thought. Last thing I said, did I get, did I say Biden? Did I say China? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Can I just finish my thought last sentence? Go uh, for and it. so my, my point is, is that you've, and we've all heard, it's been well publicized, the, the tens of trillions of dollars of infrastructure gap. Uh, infrastructure in itself, whether we're talking about traditional infrastructure like um, uh, public roadways or bridges, right? The, the typical uh, public works we think about, or transition energy, which I think are much more interesting around the world, telecommunications upgrades, op they offer stable cash flows, very different, uh, I think, drivers of cash flow. So it's uncorrelated, magic word of alternatives, right? So Absolutely. I think I, I, when you talk about inflation hedges, these, these power plants, particularly the alternative energies, they don't, they don't rise and fall. They're not dependent upon you know, risk on asset uh, uh, upside. And so they really are, I think, protected and stable. And so I think I've seen the most interest in this real asset space. And how does that create a more resilient portfolio long-term? That makes a lot of sense. Um, it, uh, is, it, is this part of the secret project that you and Ashby are working on? Well, no, mm. I mean, as, as, our, uh, as my buddy Pete Maverick Mitchell once said, if we told you, we'd have to kill you. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. the guy goes by Maverick. I mean, geez. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no uh, there's actually very little secret about this. Um, we are working very briefly. We're working on a, Kaya, that is, working on a seminal piece that's going to come out in the spring, probably late March. And, and, and it, it really is trying to confront or answer the question of what is the portfolio for the future look like? We've had 40 years of falling interest rates, unprecedented monetary intervention, cash and capital has been free for a long time. Let's be honest, if you're an investment manager with no do, you know, with all due respect to all of our friends, it's kind of been hit the easy button and go home 60, 40, or even hundred public equities. Like seriously, it's not taken a lot of skill. I don't think that's normal for those of us longer. That's not normal. And I think active management, meeting an investment outcome, constructing a series of data to meet an actuarial rate or retirement goal is gonna get a whole lot more difficult. Um, and so what are the characteristics, what are the five marks is what we're going to be rolling out 
of the portfolio for the future. Ashby is helping us write one of them. So those, those marks really quickly are diversification is back. We've awoken the sleeping giant. Uh, let it, the, where's that diversification coming from? Two, it'll be less liquid. Third, it'll be actively engaged. Kind of a universal owner is truly here. Climate matters, diversity matters. Rooted in a fiduciary mindset, remembering who we are, to quote, at, to quote uh, um, Lion King. Uh, and then finally- uh, <laughs> For quoting Lion uh, King. Finally, uh, is it the first time in this podcast that- uh, I mean, we're this, never, this, never, this episode, yeah. yeah, first time yeah, this episode. Yeah, yeah. And then Ashby, the maestro himself, is going to write the fifth and final mark, which is operational alpha as the secret sauce to sustainable long-term performance. It's an untapped uh, market for persistent alpha. And uh, Ashby's done a lot of work on that, so we're thankful he's going to help us think through that. I've even produced a draft, which is um, you shocking. Yeah, part of the challenge there was you, you told me it was due in September, so I think yeah. I got it to you early November. Well, um, now you're revealing. Now you're revealing that it's it actually wasn't due until the spring. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a whole, I'm a whole well, lot smarter than a whole lot smarter than I look. Ashby, first of all, <laughs> uh, no, there's things there's things called editorial and design that have to take place too, as you know. But you yeah, gotta, we're you yeah. got to gusty it up. Yeah, exactly. I, I assume that this will take you know talk about I, what I know Ashby's very excited about, which is the kind of. Uh, you know, the blending of equity kind of value creation from public yeah. to private, right? The, I mean, that's been a source of a lot of excitement on this podcast recently. Um, yeah, I've been watching that really closely. I think I, uh, I mentioned that to you, Sloan, maybe last week, um, is that I, I, this arbitrary kind of separation or dichotomy around this seminal event called the IPO, yeah. I think has served us fine for a long, long time until about 25 years ago when suddenly capital formation and economic value creation in the equity market started moving tectonically and aggressively to private markets. Uh, so I actually I just read in the, uh, the weekend journal that 2021 will be the first year that public companies have grown in 25 years. So the, the whole Wilshire 5000 is a misnomer. It grew to about 7,000 at its peak and I think 95. And it's been kind of hovering in the 3,500 range. Wow. Just rose back above 4,000. Whereas you've got hundreds of thousands of public companies. And these companies are staying private much longer, if not forever. They're, they're, they're creating much more value, raising much more capital well before they go public. And so you've got this entire the schmucks like the three of us that are waiting for it to be available in the 401ks and mutual funds, you know, if you're if in the case of Warby Parker, you're through series G and 600 million of fundraise before we can even get our paws on this thing. The, the, the ship has sailed. So you're starting to see lots of good blend and create a life cycle equity product, or at least thinking around that. So Wellington, has started to move into private equity that allows for much more fungibility about how long they hold it, right? And you've seen other VC funds doing this where they don't feel compelled to sell immediately upon the liquidity IPO. And Calsters, you might have seen collaborative approach is gonna now assume, uh, you know, start as co-investment on the private side, move past IPO and actually hold this thing into its, its public life. And, 
So I think this is just the beginning, the Sequoia Fund, maybe the yeah. view of this, right? Um, that they're saying the same thing. Why, why are we burdened to sell at this point? Uh, we know these managers and these business models better, no offense, than any of these public managers or analysts. Why are we out of the, the picture uh, upon this arbitrary event? So I, I think if I were an allocator, hire me as CIO tomorrow, I would be thinking about, um, I, you know, the new, the new epoch and the new construct I'd be thinking about is equity or growth capital, which should incorporate private and public across that full life cycle, income or yield, which should be a combination of traditional fixed credit, which we haven't really talked about yet. And then what you asked about earlier, which is kind of inflation protection, risk protection, which includes maybe some absolute hedge funds, as we traditionally call them, and some real assets. I think we make it way more complicated than just that. Yeah, it does feel like we are entering the era of crossover where, you know, we in the allocator space, we've been like, dude, you got to get outside of these product-based buckets and, like, start looking across for all the in-between the cracks. But now the managers themselves are building these crossover products like you're seeing big hedge funds like tiger and d1 moving more and more down into the venture world and you're seeing you know mainstream funds like sequoia basically setting up a permanent capital structure that looks and feels like a kind of a hedge fund type model um it's all crossing over you know and it, and it is a function of just the private market exactly. staying private for so much longer Uh, maybe it's altimeter. Brad Gerstner was maybe could be argued as the the guy that first thought of this. He's been doing this in his from the I don't know want to say the beginning, but from a very early stage, a real visionary there in life cycle equity investing. And I think the mainstream asset managers, from the BlackRock and Wellington perspective, which is traditional public down into private, or whether they're coming at it from the Blackstone or the Sequoias up into public markets, we're converging right. in this kind of life cycle world of looking at equities. I just worry about the cost. How do we reduce the cost of the of this stuff? Because in uh, all the stuff that we're describing is like more than two and 20 <laughs> in many cases. <laughs> Whereas like, if you think about the old days, like if we could just got these companies public earlier, anybody could buy it retail could buy it you know yeah. we it was yeah. that was real democratization of access like yeah. we've lost it well we got the spacs though don't forget the spacs well yeah oh yeah, yeah the spacs very uh, investor friendly way to take part find out about it uh, <laughs> let me say a couple of things about that you know i mentioned the warby parker idea you know that series g had been done in the private world before even the mass affluent um in this forget the kind of average pensioner and saver, right? Um, you know, tokenization, not to go off into that world, but I do think uh, these off-chain assets that can be managed through an on-chain structure through tokenization could be the future of cost and efficiency equity ownership for the individual. And mm. uh, that does it, it, it doesn't strictly get at your, your 2 and 20 issue, but it does I think democratize and make convenient access to people around the world that it, that have always had to go through kind of the premier access lane if you wanted if in the playground. The other thing I'd say though, Ashby, on cost, and you know this, and with all your consulting you've done, you know sometimes I think we focus too much on the absolute number and and not enough on the relative number. Like really good alpha and performance should be paid for, 
Uh, and oh, I, I, and I, say that only, I say that only because um, it's not so much about getting the number down on an absolute basis, but making sure that the right person is in the right product. And I've written about this recently with this idea of this fetish of liquidity. Like we're so focused on shrinking costs that what we do is we turn a blind eye to other structures that then um, neuter the product. So the example I used when I wrote this piece was uh, liquid alternatives. And, and the thinking at the time was to say, look, this, this hedge fund behavior, right? This hedge fund absolute return and, and the unconstrained ability to access leverage and go short and long and, and really think about uh, macro issues and be, be li li you know, uh, have liberty to invest across the spectrum. Why don't we just shove this into a 40 act fund, which means you got a neuter liquidity, you got a neuter illiquidity, you got a neuter leverage, and it looks just like kind of a regular mutual fund. And guess what? Well, it's less volatility, but all the alpha has gone. And yeah. I think sometimes we're so focused on democratization, simply meaning regulated fund structures with daily ticks and liquidity that we miss that alpha is just undiscovered beta. And if you truly want alpha, you've got to live in this world of sometimes asymmetric information and complexity and higher costs to your question. And that I think we still got to bridge that gap with the individual investor and get them access to real private capital. That's alpha is just undiscovered beta. You heard it. I mean, you heard it here. Uh, like that's you know another one of those ones that's going to go on a T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> John, we're going to have you back when we publish the five-part series yeah. to about allocators of the future. Thank you I so much. It. Yeah, you bet. It's great to see you both, and uh, thanks for having me on. It's a real honor. Thank yeah. You, Long distance high five to you Long in Salt distance. Lake City. Enjoy the uh, enjoy the puffy stuff when it hits uh, pretty soon. The snow? Yeah. What are we talking about? The snow, <laughs> yeah. Obby, yeah. I, I got my. Oh, oh man! Well, I'll see you yeah. up on Little Cottonwood Canyon. Uh, yeah, listen. Hope, yeah. hope your ankle. You... Did you break your ankle? Oh yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. You broke your yeah, ankle. Yeah. Awesome. See, so that's good. I'm gonna be in one of those recumbent. Ski machines. That's my dream. Okay, yep, yep. I know those. It's got one yeah. ski underneath the chair. Exactly. Yep. Gotcha. I'm gonna tear it up in one of those things. Yeah. I mean, hell. Like, give him hell, John. Give him hell. <laughs> Good luck to you. All right. Try to take care. All right. Take care. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Oh wow. Love that guy. Yeah. Seriously, it's like you know the. It's funny, like. Just so much has changed in the way in in the conventional way of talking about these things that like yeah. I feel like you know to a lot like to us like you know John going hey yeah let's actually collapse uh, like most of the standard de delineations between you know certain categories of assets right like when he was sort of saying you know let's have like our uh, our yield category and our equity growth category and our inflation hedge category. You know, um, like that, that's, a, I think, a really thoughtful summation of a lot of the stuff that we've been saying, which is like, get over your weird, uh, you know, you know, boundaries and think about what they're doing for you functionally. You know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, but the way I interpret it, he's like, get deeper understanding about yourself and the portfolio, yep. which I think jives really tightly with so much of the stuff we're writing about nowadays at Stanford. It's like. How do we get that deep understanding? How do we like build that in there so that you can, you know, not just look at the surface level, which is like, oh, we got this big fee, 
you know, instead you're kind of understanding the risk return cost dynamics in a kind of continuum. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to do. You really need smart allocators to do it. Um, and you need organizations like Kaya, which I'm shocked to hear has only been around for fricking 20 years. I know. I mean, although it makes sense. Training people. Them. Like they're so entrepreneurial relative to, uh, you know, I, that other place. Yeah. The, I, like, I, I mean, if you've been around for 80 years, right, like, sure. and, you have, like and you're everywhere and you have to talk to everyone about everything, like, that, 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 that does a lot. Whereas, like, if you're, you know, a smallish group and you're out, you know, defining a landscape and, oh, by the way, uh, you know, alternatives is an inherently, uh, you know, kind of much more entre entrepreneurial landscape than the traditional yeah. model world of equities investing, you know. So, anyway, um, no shade to anyone intended there. Uh, no, 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 no. But it is, it's, they've, they're very entrepreneurial. Like they're doing yeah. cool stuff and they're training up this next generation of allocators. So it's great. Very, very cool. Now time for, man, I did a transition right. Finally. Uh, it sounded intense. Building stuff is hard. Oh, building stuff is hard. This is uh, where we talk about how hard it is to build stuff. Sloan, you're building stuff. I saw, uh, a memo. I saw such a good memo from you. I gave you more money. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, I you know I wrote a memo that was good enough that Ashby was like, "Gotta get you know." Gotta a lot break, of good logic. A lot of good logic Sloan, in there. Got to break Sloan's custodian. The you wrote a check that was big enough to literally break their time value of money calculation. <laughs> I think you need a new custodian. It wasn't just to the listeners out there. I don't have the capacity to write that kind of <laughs> big check, but it was you know some savings that I wanted to get managed well by a good money manager i know I, yeah. I, I think it was just a, a funny little like you know we're dealing with a startup uh land but yeah you know yeah. I'd, say, I'd say the building stuff is hard thing uh you know for me this last little period is like i've actually had um you know like a number of like getting myself out there successes recently wow uh, you know which has been my main gripe in building stuff is hard is like i am the worst at marketing <laughs> um, your website is kick ass though yeah so you're well, not I, that bad. I didn't actually have to do marketing <laughs> um but yeah like i i've actually been you know had kind of the the joy of like getting in front of a couple of institutional teams recently and that has been so fun um it's awesome you know and like now i guess the hard thing is i, I kind of want to be doing like lots and lots and lots of it but uh you know it's hard enough to get one meeting so that you know, they only happen every once in a while you heard it here first, people. If you want to learn about a vegan investment strategy that is definitely outperforming to the point where I invested and then I invested more. <laughs> there we uh, go. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also it's the hippest strategy in the world. Uh, what's uh, what's hard in your world? I mean, you know, you've got a zillion things going on, Ashbone. Yes, I do. But I was uh, the thing that I thought of going to this is how hard I personally find hiring. Oh, God, I yes. I am doing a lot of hiring and. Mm. I have the weakness of kind of seeing the best in everybody. Like I get on these calls with people and I am like fascinated with humans and I'm like, Oh, that's a cool experience. Like, I can figure out how to put you to work, you know? And, and I kind of almost understand like why those investment banks and consulting firms could, would do gotcha questions because it's like, I don't know how to, like, I love everybody. Like how do I get separation here? You know, mm -hmm. I, I, my, my bias in life is to see the best and to think about like, where could I put this person so they kick ass, 
Yeah. Um, and a lot of people, when you get that lens, you can find cool things for them to do. And so what I've realized in my life is I have to like really tightly define what I need before I start an interview process so that I make sure quickly whittle out the people that don't have that mm. and, and then bring other people in because I'm such a softy that like, I need other people to be like, you didn't ask the hard questions, you know, like here's, here's what I found and kind of defer to some of the people who have less of, um, you know, that mindset of seeing the best in people. Like I'm all about the upside, you know, yeah. I, I struggle to see the downside. It's like, yeah, the, the designated cynic has a lot of value in those sorts of conversations. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Exactly what I need in my life. A designated cynic, you know? Cynicism as a service. Like, that's another... Yeah. Uh... <laughs> like, look at the people I'm thinking of hiring and just be crabby about them. You know, tell me what I should be worried about. Um, but, you know, the funny thing is it's served me pretty well over the years because I'm, I'm very open in these conversations where I'm like, this is where I think your weaknesses are, but this is where... And in a way, some of the times they take themselves out of the process, you know, because mm. they don't want to, they don't want to get pigeonholed into that thing that I want to pigeonhole them into. So anyway, we'll see. That's what I think is hard. Yeah. I think, I think hiring is like the universal, especially now when it's like the labor market is, you know, Oh my God. Yeah. Um, and God forbid, if you need anyone to come into an office, yeesh. Uh, I don't, that's the good news. I don't need yeah. that. Yeah, I, I can't imagine ever needing that actually because it just seems impossible to 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 you know convince someone to do. It's pretty uh, wild. Like, the whole world now is our. If you're willing to hire remote, the whole world is your oyster. Like yeah. anyone anywhere can work for you. Yep. Yeah. Why? And like, think about what that does for your ability to hire a diverse team. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it just it, all of a sudden you have in, in, huge categories of people. Uh, that would never be, you know, down to make a ninety, you know, a ninety-minute commute as happens all the time in the Bay Area. Exactly. Uh, but uh, you know, without with that said, it's time for another segment, which I will totally get the sound effect for. <laughs> I know you, you guys are out there waiting for me to screw up the sound effects. You're like, she's gonna. We <laughs> are so smooth with those transition <laughs> shit. <laughs> Um, the, like this uh, is if you're asking segment. This is where uh, you, if you are you know curious uh, and thoughtful and you know want some free money karma, um, you send us an email at freemoneypod at gmail.com or tweet us at freemoney42069 and just say what's on your mind. Uh, ask me anything. Uh, yeah, ask Ashby anything. Like ask yeah. him. You know, uh, like, I don't know. Uh, why do your trees keep falling down, dude? Like, what's up with yeah. that? <laughs> and I will, if you ask it, I'll answer it. You know what I mean? The yeah. answer yeah. is, I don't know. I put yeah. them back up. I know that I can, I know I can push them back up after they fall. That's what I know. I don't know why they fall in the first place. But is that my first question? No, no, your first oh. question. This, uh, this is great, actually. I, um, I'm surprised it's taken this long for us to get a Citadel question. Um, oh, Citadel, yeah. Citadel Securities has become a hotbed of conspiracy theories since the rise of Wall Street bets on Reddit. Do you have a favorite Citadel conspiracy theory? I do. I do. Um, but there's so many. I admit that, like, mostly I, I liken it with the Robin Hood, you know, like the whole market shutting down Robin Hood. Like, but anyway, the one I love most is related to Ken Griffin um, swooping out 
and taking the Constitution. That was so good. I and, and people suspecting that he has a deep friend, friendship with Nicolas Cage. And Nicolas Cage was the guy in that one movie who got the Constitution. Uh, anyway, that was my favorite. That made me laugh out loud. Wait, there was so people. People are like, "Oh yeah, 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 totally." It's you know, he he's like rich. He's like friends with Nicolas Cage, obviously. That's oh yeah, and that's why they got the Constitution because this is the map to the treasure. And you know, what was that movie called? Treasure National Treasure. National National Treasure. Treasure. Yeah. yeah. Like the, so I mean, this is, this is National Treasure playing out. You know. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, like, I, I feel like he finally hired like a thirteen-year-old to do his PR, like he should have a long time ago. <laughs> totally. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, this one is a serious question. Okay. Um, the, obviously, obviously written by someone who does not listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're approaching the end of the year. Uh, a time of taking stock for allocators mm, and investors. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you recommend as part of a year-end review process? It's a question answer very seriously uh i would actually go back to your investment memos from 2018 to 2020 and just have a calibration of the assumptions you baked into your investments anybody can go look at the investments themselves and say gosh that worked that didn't work but in my expectation it's the assumptions that you made that will be more enlightening than the investments themselves because the investments themselves, it's like, who would have known COVID? Who would, you know? Yeah. Um, and so getting back and understanding what was our thinking, and that's the beauty of these investment memos. Generally, you really have to articulate the thinking and the path forward, um, not just for the asset you're thinking of buying, but how it fits into your portfolio and the problems it's solving. Mm-hmm. And I, I find those investment memos don't get used enough in that format. They kind of um, just get put in a drawer and... I think they should be almost like living documents, like the commitments you make in an investment memo should kind of follow you through. But uh, sadly, that's not often how they're used. I, I think it's, yeah, it will, it's so easy to see them as ticking like a bureaucratic box. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're like, we all have, every fiduciary has a requirement to document, you know, an investment decision. And if you write a 35 page investment memo, well, gosh, I mean, it's- Well, gosh, we must have done our work. Um, yeah. But yeah, that time horizon too, you said 2018, 2019. So basically going back like two, three years and thinking, so you have like an actual yeah. you know, time frame for something to have played out. It's hard. It's really hard to like model cash flows five years out, but you probably yeah. were modeling cash flows for 18, 24, 36 months. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, just to calibrate your thinking as an organization, like, did we get it right? Like, you know, what were the risk factors we were really worried about these investments? Like, you know, going back and being like, whoa, we totally missed the fucking pandemic. <laughs> that word was fucking, just so you know, with an R. Yeah, You're yeah. not allowed to say the F word on the Free Money Podcast. So we add the R. <laughs> that was a total mistake. What risk factors should we be throwing in there? I think that's a great practice. Yeah, that I I, I would agree. I mean, like, I, um, I mean, shout out to the investment memo, too. The lowly, uh, workmanlike. Uh, it's the... You know, that's the company I want to build, right? Like I want to convert, I'm going to tell everybody because the hundred of you out there listening, let's start this company together. Come forward. And I, I need a, a 20 second job. I want to take investment memos and turn them into software 
where all the things that you're doing API into the memo, and then it becomes a living document that tracks things over time. And it has all this interesting stuff around it. Every professional investor writes memos and they all use Microsoft Word. I feel like a dumbass. I know someone who's been doing that. Uh, I should have introduced you guys. What? Tell me who this is. Who what is uh, this? What it's uh it's our friends at Panthera Solutions in Monaco. Um I will Yeah, make an intro and uh, invite me to Monaco. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And like I'll we'll, <laughs> they got a casino there. Well, yeah, exactly. You, you can get your little tuxedo on. But yeah, they'll yep. have to do an episode with Marcus. That's a great idea. Do that. Uh, Let's do that. Last question is okay. it's the holiday season. It is. Um, yeah. You know, so like, and you know, you have young kids. Um, shopping at Amazon means crossing a picket line. Um, uh, yep. Shipping is crazy. Um, short, of, are you convincing Henry and B to like just deal with stuff that you grow in the garden, or like, <laughs> what, uh, like what are you doing there? It's a good question. We um, we went to Costco on the Costco on Friday. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, they both had a pretty, sp- you know, they don't listen to the show, so I can probably tell you what I got. I got B a, an Apple watch Aww, cute. and Henry got a little gaming computer mm. and then, you know, those are the big gifts. And then after that, like, you know, like, <laughs> it'll be fine. Well, yeah, and you gotta have the hero gift. And then there's one big gift. I mean, this is a sad year though. This is the year that B figured out the certain Mr. Claus earmuff it out there if your kids are around mm. certain mr claus um doesn't live up to the young children's expectation of what mr claus is oh he's mostly he's fake news in other words uh, <laughs> i wasn't gonna go all the way there slow just in case a kid was lurking uh but yeah so my wife made an offhand comment about how much money the tooth fairy puts in my wife said who is paying for the tooth fairy and then my daughter immediately, like, piece, you could see puzzle pieces, like, landing in her head. She was like, boom, boom, boom. Mom's making a comment about the tooth fairy and that it costs a lot of money. And Santa Claus. It was like over in half an hour. She put it all together. Oh, man. This is like oh. two months ago. Yeah. So this is the first year without without the full joy. But so we're, yeah, we went to Costco. That's the, that's the longest answer to that question. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so now instead of like you know happily waiting for you know like the the stockings are hung by the window with glee, uh, yeah. you know, they just sort of are are sitting there, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like um, <laughs> exactly. It's not as rad. Yeah. It's not as rad. So we're trying to get the new vibe. Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, there are still gifts, and it's still yeah, you know, still so, us. Yeah, it's still joyous. Um. But yeah, what do you got for garden tips, man? Oh, my, yeah. so this is the alien, this is my alien garden question. Mm. I went out to my garden in advance okay. of this show. I went yesterday. I don't understand what's going on because my tomato plants, it is November 22nd. My tomato plants are having another harvest. I have about 200 green tomatoes growing. We're in a fight, Ashby. <laughs> and I'm trying to understand what the f is going on because i've i swear to god i think i might end up with two to three hundred tomatoes in december yeah i mean you must be growing an indeterminate variety of tomatoes right it's like yeah there's i got i went to the store you know there's like 12 plants back there you know yeah 
Yeah. But, but, but the, it's actually the little ones. It's, it's all these little, beautiful, like, cherry oh. tomatoes. Yep, 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 yep. It's like uh, I, two to 300. Yeah, it's like the little cherries. That's, I mean, it's still very impressive. Like, I, you know, I, I feel like I, I got a total of, like, 45 tomatoes out of six plants. Uh, and they were the little cherries. So, uh, you know, I mean, like, California. It's crazy out here. This is California. Yeah, but I don't. That's why the reason I'm asking it on the show is like I don't even know. My mom, who lives in town, is like I don't understand what's going on at your house, right? So, huh. is it that I have like this one spot which has the perfect sun, you know? Because they always say like with with grapes and things like, you know, it's got to be you know the south facing slope. Like, am I getting this kind of growth because I've just found the perfect you know triangulation of soil, mm-hmm. sun, plant. Um, I, I can, this was not easily Googleable. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, few things in gardening are, it's really just like a bunch of, you know, idiots repeating half truths to each other ad nauseum <laughs> until like they recommend a product to buy with an Amazon affiliate link. Exactly. You That's know, exactly um, what gardening websites are. I can't believe how quickly I now understand it. It's very, <laughs> it's all about the link, the Amazon link at the bottom. Oh my God. <laughs> It's really, it's really dark when you get into it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Did, have you done a soil test on it yet? Like the specific. No, that's probably my next thing to do. Yeah, like that's. What I, what have, I would do the, like the fancy like send away the soil test and see if you get like a decent. Hmm. Because um, like the ones that you can do on site are like a lot less accurate, I think, than the the fancy guys. Okay. Um, I'll yeah. check it out. All yeah. right. That's that's my that's my garden tip to you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Did you have one already, or or what was your tip? Oh, um, my tip is if you're gonna, you know, I mean, like long-time listeners know, my garden is a container garden on my Brooklyn roots rooftop, um, and I'm now dealing with the consequences of a dumbass mistake that I made at the beginning of the season, um, where I uh, like instead of you know putting space in between the bottom of my pots and the wood, I simply place them directly on the wood. Uh, Yeah, which uh, I think anyone with a basic understanding of how moisture works is probably going, ah, yes, that will introduce fungus into the environment. Among us. Fungus is among us, yes. So um, I now am in the practice of spraying ammonia on my, like the, you know, the solar all the, the crazy shit is, is, is done on the roof. They put the solar panels up. The deck is back up. Uh, now we got to reformulate everything back into, you know, the way it was. But first, I got to wipe all the fungus off with ammonia. So um, that is a solid tip. Keep yeah. the box a bit off. You know, that's like when you're yeah. building a fire. You can't have the wood right next to each other. There's no oxygen, right? Exactly. So, you know, so here you go. You, you got to create some space for the oxygen to clear this water out. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And like, I, what I'm going to do is just go to Lowe's this weekend and get like, probably like 80 or a hundred bricks, uh, do it. you know, and like, just, you know, pile them on and, you know, make little cute little piles with them. Um, but yeah, like it doesn't need to be a fancy solution. There's no, like, you know, no need to go really spendy on it. Uh, I'll probably buy $30 with a bricks and be done with the, the solution and save myself a whole, probably six or eight hours of scrubbing with ammonia next next season <laughs> ammonia bricks sounds like you might have a visit from the feds over the yeah. weekend <laughs> <laughs> oh jesus yeah that's well watch i'm gonna get my like uh my 
FINRA like on-site inspection happening just when I've got like two gallons of ammonia. <laughs> like, excuse me, ma'am. Uh, like, what, you know, this is an asset management firm. What are you doing with all that shit? What are the, what are the bricks for exactly here? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, and on that tip. On that note. <laughs> bye. Bye. Rain on them.